advantage of the day. Okay. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to this uh, edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holtis with you, Voice of the Chiefs, along with senior team reporter Matt McMullen. And now we're in this time, the closest thing the NFL has to a plant shutdown. And that's over the next several weeks, but we're going to keep rolling here for a while and do a review uh, of what has happened here in the recent uh, past for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chiefs Kingdom, dealing with the ring ceremony and then also mandatory minicamp. But before we do that, Matt, it's a defending the kingdom tradition. I've been on the road, you know, with a lot of appearances here, and a lot of you have uh, told me how much you enjoy defending the kingdom and how much you enjoy around the world. I even met a gal who is from Germany, working now in the States, loves the Chiefs, from Dusseldorf, uh, like 45 kilometers from Dusseldorf, who's all about it. So let's go around the world before we even jump into what we've got today for the uh, matter at hand. Yeah, Mitch called me earlier this week, and he's on the road to who knows where. He's going to Omaha, then Hutchinson, then Wichita, then Western Lincoln, Kansas. Garden City, Hayes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, got it. Just El Dorado. We'll catch up uh, while he's driving all these different places. But let's indeed go around the world. I forgot to mention a couple of people that I met when I was in Germany that I want to give shout-outs to. Shout-out to Marcus. He's the chairman of the German Arrowheads. That's one of the main Chiefs fan clubs <laughs> in Germany. So shout out to Marcus. Awesome guy. I'm sure we'll see a lot of him in the years to come. Where's the headquarters of that? Is it in Frankfurt? That's or? a good question. It might okay. be Munich. I'm sure he told me. We'll okay. have to ask him. But you'll you'll meet Marcus, I'm sure, at some point. So we'll we'll find out then and there. Uh, also, shout out to Charles at Ramstein Air Force Base. So uh, if you watched your episode a few weeks ago that I talked about our trip, uh, I was at the BX, which is like a shopping center, essentially, on base at Ramstein. And our cheerleaders and Dante Hall were signing autographs for hundreds of servicemen and women that were coming through there. Well, Charles came over to me with a Chiefs helmet, and he was like, I'm a kingdom defender. I love <laughs> listening to the podcast, and I love listening to, to you and Mitch. So shout out to you, Charles. Thank you for uh, defending the kingdom over there at Ramstein Air Force Base. We also have Alan from Queensland, Australia. We have a listener in Suriname, South America. Pretty cool. Hitting all the continents here. Uh, we have Derek. He was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, but was raised in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Uh, so he said the kingdom is represented in both places. And then lastly, uh, a shout out to Eric and Brittany from Springfield, Missouri, a.k.a. the mecca of the Chiefs kingdom outside of Kansas City, because we always have listeners from Springfield. Uh, Eric. Good. Yeah, right. Eric and Brittany uh, drove up here a few weeks ago for our production day. We let a few lucky fans come watch a behind the scenes uh, look at production day, uh, which is where we get all of our media materials for the entire season uh, with all the players. And Eric and Brittany were like, hey, by the way, we love defending the kingdom. So shout out to Eric and Brittany. You mentioned Brooklyn. I was in Brooklyn not that long ago and saw chief stuff, right? And you're going chiefs and there are chiefs. Uh, it was in the Dumbo area of Brooklyn, which is like Dumbo yeah. flying elephants. No, it's down <laughs> under the Manhattan Bridge uh, underpass, like overpass, whatever. Anyway, uh, so of chiefs fan. Chiefs fans, acronyms, love them. Hey, Chiefs fans in Brooklyn, you're right there. Love you. We're coming your way, by the way, because we'll be playing the Jets this year uh, in Gotham. Uh, so awesome there. All right, this episode is going to deal with two things. One is the ring ceremony, and then we're really going to spend most of the time on what you and I saw throughout OTAs. Um, and defending the kingdom here in the offseason here is a little bit like watching Ted Lasso episodes. Uh, there's kind of a prerequisite here. It's almost like going back and watching the last two or three defending the kingdoms for this one. 
particularly as it relates to the OTAs and mandatory minicamp. But basically our observation is a compilation of what we've seen over the last five to six weeks with this team getting ready for 2023. But before we do that, the ring ceremony was phenomenal. It, it was a night that felt like a fairy tale. It was, it was so incredible. It was like a, a dream for a, a little kid growing up in the Chief's kingdom to experience it like you didn't want the night to end. But to me, it started with the Hunt family. And the tribute to Norma Hunt, who we lost just recently, it was so well done by our 65 TPT crew. But then to see how much the Hunt family put into that night, how much they put in not only to the Super Bowl 57 rings, but how special the Hunt family made that night to make it unforgettable. Yeah, I'll preface with this, that we are living charmed lives, that we can compare our Super Bowl victories to one another, of course, winning Super Bowl 57 and Super Bowl 54. Super Bowl 54 was won right on the precipice of the pandemic. So what many people might not realize is we didn't have any of that kind of stuff that we just enjoyed for 57 right after Super Bowl 54 because of COVID. We couldn't do anything. Our our ring ceremony as employees was like a drive-through event because that's the only thing that we could do. And, I mean, we were just happy to get rings at all, which, again, the Hunt family is so incredible that they take care of not just the players and the front office staff, but also the entire business staff uh, and so many game day workers even uh, get rings. Not every team does that, and we're so fortunate uh, to work for such an amazing organization that is owned by such an amazing family that takes care of us and, and knows that we're a part of it. But with all of that in mind, to have a chance to really truly have a party and to celebrate uh, and to be with the players and our fellow business staffers uh, for Super Bowl 57 and to celebrate it the right way, for those of us that have been here for both of them, it kind of felt like we were celebrating both of them, right? Yeah. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's well, well put. And then it was fun. We had some fun on the red carpet. Uh, Glenn Connolly's helping produce this episode. You know, he and I were together on the red carpet interviewing guys, and you were doing the same. But the joy, seeing the joy of those guys pull up and then walk out on that red carpet, and not just the stars that you know, but the guys who are part of this uh, Super Bowl championship, guys like DiCaprio Boodle, and, and just uh, but having the night of their life and being treated like a king or a queen because of how the, the Hunt family approached this evening, it was it was just truly remarkable and so well done. And for them to share it with their families. Yeah, I mean, the players give everything they have to do this, and their families don't see them a lot during the season, and especially an off-season like this where there's been so much going on, there really hasn't been a moment to breathe. I mean, teams that didn't make the playoffs had two extra months off uh, when compared to our guys. And, yeah, that's a great problem to have, but for – them to be able to bring their families along to this amazing event and for them to experience it and to be a part of it uh, was once again really cool. You know, Trey Smith brought his dad. Yeah. It was so cool. And uh, I, I just I've learned to appreciate Trey's family so much and his father. But it was well into the night, right? And uh, everybody's already got their rings. And I saw Trey and I go, where's your dad? Oh, he's out there like He's like hanging with Flo Rida. You know, he's out there on the dance floor somewhere. So it was just, it's when you mentioned it was a family event for many of the players and for the coaches who spend so much time and so much sacrifice to, to help the Chiefs Kingdom win. It was great to see just all that be rewarded in one special evening. But if you're a Chiefs fan and you're concerned about, oh, well, they're hanging on to the 2022 season. They're hanging on to Super Bowl 57. Let Matt and I put you at rest right now. Because this team, 
And I've mentioned the three H's here. If you grow up in rural areas, they talk about 4-H. You could be involved in 4-H. Let me give you three H's. That is humble, hungry, and hopeful. And this team going into 2023 of what you and I saw over a basically a six-week period of the OTAs and the mandatory minicamp is a 2023 football team that is acting like they've never won a Super Bowl before. So if you think that this team is resting on its laurels, think again. I know how tough the AFC is. Everybody's all in. You start to rank the quarterbacks in the NFL. Most of them of those top seven or eight or nine or ten are in the AFC. Matt and I get all that. But, Matt, we saw a lot of work already done to get ready for training camp. This 2023 Chiefs team, excited about receiving rings, but there is no satisfaction or resting on their laurels. Which is pretty amazing. Now, keep in mind that a lot of the players – that were on the Super Bowl 57 team were not on the Super Bowl 54 team. The vast majority of them were not on it. So a lot of these guys are hungry to win another one because they just got their first championship. Or it's a matter of bringing rookies in or young players or players from other teams who have never won a Super Bowl, and they saw how awesome that was, and they're like, hey, I want to win mine. And you couple that with the fact that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are the two most competitive people on planet Earth and are never going to be complacent uh, with two championships. And I actually have a quote I wanted to read you. This is something that Patrick said a few days ago that really stood out to me and I think really epitomizes him as a competitor. So he was asked about how he doesn't burn out. How do you keep motivated? Why are you still so hungry after being so successful early on in your career? Here's what he said. For me, it's about maximizing the moment. I know that I'm not always going to have this team. I never have regrets about when I play my best and we lose, but I don't ever want to have the regret of not giving my best every single day and looking back and saying, hey, we had the team and I didn't do what I needed to do in order to put us in the right position. It's not always about winning the Super Bowl. It's about leaving everything out there every single day to give yourself the best chance. I think about fans, and we're just fans at the end of the day, and media members, and they'll often ask players when they don't win the championship, was the season of failure? And I think Patrick Mahomes, if presented with that question, would answer with this, that as long as he goes out there and gives it everything he has, he can live with that. And I really respect that. And that's why a guy like Patrick, who has achieved so much already in his young career, he knows that every single time he goes out there, he has to give his all. And when he looks back on his career, I think he's going to have a whole bunch more Super Bowl titles. But I think the thing he'll be most proud of is that every single season, he gave it all that he had and always gave his team a chance to win. And that's the beauty of this team. And he does it because he wants to do it for the rest of his teammates. Let me put this in perspective. So Patrick Mahomes last year, just to review, was the fifth quarterback in the last 40 seasons to have 40-plus touchdowns. All those, the four previous before Patrick, were all in the MVPs of that season. All four of those went to the Super Bowl and lost. So Patrick, all-time record in total offensive yards, breaking Drew Brees' record, which Patrick did in 2022, 41 touchdown passes, but wins the Super Bowl. First human ever to do that in the history of the National Football League. And yet to watch him work during the OTAs, him and Travis Kelsey, we know about the seven 1,000-yard seasons and what Kelsey has done. Now only Jerry Rice has eclipsed um, Travis Kelsey in the postseason as far as touchdown productivity. But, Matt, there's five observations we want to make quickly in this Defending the Kingdom podcast. The first one is the work habits of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey during the offseason 
is something that is energy and motivates everybody on this roster. It's phenomenal to watch them work as if they're trying to make the team as an undrafted free agent. And I've said this almost during almost all of our offseason episodes at this point about Patrick and Travis. But for Patrick, who is the first reigning Super Bowl and NFL MVP since Kurt Warner in 1999, for him to come out here and play the way that he does when he doesn't need to do this, he does it because he wants to get better. And the same for Travis, who has seven consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, is going to Canton one day as probably the greatest tight end of all time. You have those two guys out here working like they're trying to make the squad. If you are any other player on this roster, you see that and you say, I have to work as hard as those guys. Because if those guys who would be in the Hall of Fame today, if they retired, if they're working this hard in May and in June, I need to work that hard. And that culture permeates throughout the entire roster. And we've seen other big-time quarterbacks in this league actually skip OTAs, leave it to somebody else. I'll see you at training camp. And to me, it's unimaginable that they would do that when I see uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey work the way they do. And we're lucky is what we are. Oh, man. <laughs> and second uh, is the increase in talent. Now, this is where if you haven't watched the last several episodes of Defending the Kingdom, kind of go back and binge it if you want to. But this is a compilation of leading up uh, to a thought here is the increase in talent. It starts with an increase in talent and what happened with the unrestricted, uh, unrestricted free agents during the free agent season. The adding of two starting offensive tackles, basically, and Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor. Blaine Gabbert impressed me during the OTAs. I mean, this guy is a talented cat uh, who's now the backup quarterback. You had a Richie James at wide receiver. We're excited about the addition of Drew Tranquil at linebacker, but those unrestricted free agents, the pro free agents who have been uh, veteran free agents somewhere else, I think has elevated the overall talent of this team, and we're going now down the line. But that group, to me, was impressive this offseason. The Chiefs have been really good in the Brett Veach era of not getting too absorbed in big money free agency. But when they find the right guy, they'll give them a large contract. And otherwise, they supplement the roster with really good, solid players who they don't have to throw a gigantic amount of capital at, but the right amount, and they can bring these guys in, and they all make up the whole and a lot of the guys you mentioned really fall into that category uh, but also Mike Edwards on defense uh, safety from Tampa Bay uh, he's been injured through much of OTAs but he's a player that will be in the mix uh, in this defensive back room uh, Dion Bush from a couple years ago is a guy that comes to mind not a big name free agent by any means but becomes a four core special teamer and if you go back and watch the game the Chiefs beat the Chargers uh, in L.A., uh, that interception at the very end of the game, Deion Bush was the one that deflected that pass that landed uh, in Nick Bolton's arms. And Charles Amenehue is a player I'm very excited about along the Chiefs' defensive line. He was second on the 49ers in pressures last season behind only Nick Bosa, and he's a versatile defender. You can play him outside as an edge rusher, but also inside as a major mismatch against guards because of his length and power. So uh, what the Chiefs have been so good at is merging all the different ways you can acquire players. And we'll talk about the other ways, but first round picks, late round draft picks, UDFAs, and free agents who maybe aren't going to break the bank. They combine all of that, I really think, better than any other team. And what do you do with the draft class as good as the 2022 class? Well, you put bring in some dudes in the 23 class. Now, Felix Anaduke Ozama who was injured in the last play of the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, was a little bit slow because he's recovering uh, from some surgery in the offseason. But Rasheed Rice getting up to speed at wide receiver. Uh, Chamari Connor, you could see how Wanye Morris, who was working all over the place, left tackle, right tackle, guard. Uh, you could see kind of the long-term thoughts for him. 
And then a guy like Nick Jones, a seventh-round pick at a Ball State, who you and I are going, how did he last till the seventh round? More elevation of talent from this draft class. When you're talking about how the Chiefs' overall talent level and their depth has increased in recent years, the defensive back room is a great example of that, just how it's grown over the last two seasons. They've almost completely overhauled it with the exception of Legereus Sneed. Almost everyone else is new, and they're all good, athletic, and young. You take the Fab Five from last year, which was Trent McDuffie, Brian Cook, Joshua Williams, Nazi Johnson, uh, and Jalen Watson. All those five guys who all contributed to a Super Bowl championship last year, they're all going to get better going into this season. Justin Reed said as much uh, earlier this offseason. He said those guys are light years ahead of where they were during this time last year, so get excited about that. But you then supplement those guys who are all going to be contributors with a player like Nick Jones out of Ball State or Chamari Connor out of Virginia Tech. And all of a sudden, you have an embarrassment of riches here where you have a bunch of very young athletic players who can come in and compete. And you don't necessarily have to rely on them to be filling shoes that are greater than what they're ready for. You can expect them to come in, play their role, and if one of them gets injured or for some reason isn't as effective one week or the other, you have other players that can step in and fill that void. And the Chiefs have not always had that during the Patrick Mahomes era. So the defensive back room, based on what they've done, particularly through the draft, is very exciting. You can go back. We're going to kind of crop dust this one, and that's the undrafted free agents. Even a trout guy like Echo Boydo, that's a previous episode. But a guy like Daenerys Prince gets real exciting at the University of Tulsa. When you look at uh, the linebackers that they had Cam Jones coming in, um, and 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 it's it's uh, just how did those guys not get drafted? I mean, but that's going to be something to watch during training camp and something that we'll emphasize. But what this has led to now, and I think you and I agree on this, is the fact that this Chiefs team, which has been notable for its creativity on offense specifically, but it's underrated on its creativity on defense. With this infusion of even more talent, Matt, I think going into the 2023 season, we're seeing even more creativity on both sides of the ball. Now with what you talked about with that DB room and with the linebacker room in specific, elevating talent over the last two to three seasons, now Steve Spagnolo can do very unique and even more different things than he's even done in the last couple of seasons. And that's where it gets excited because that gives you an edge in an uber-competitive AFC. We've been banging the drum of versatility over the last several months, and that's because we truly believe this might be the most versatile defense Spags has had in his time here. And that's an exciting thought because, like I was mentioning about the defensive backs, you can mix and match guys. So many guys are interchangeable because there's not much of a drop-off. The Chiefs have had, I think, better defenses in recent seasons than they get credit for. But if you go back and look at some recent defenses, I think at times they were a bit top heavy and maybe the depth wasn't necessarily always there over the course of a long season. I don't really believe that with this defense. I think it's really strong all the way throughout. And that doesn't mean that they won't have growing pains at times, but I have confidence that we're going to see growth from this entire group from the best guy on defense to uh, the guy fighting to make the roster on defense really throughout this season. And that's just exciting if you're a Chiefs fan because Patrick Mahomes and this offense, we know they're going to be good. And this defense, I truly believe, might have a chance to be the best defense, at least on paper, that we've seen in the Patrick Mahomes era. And in the Andy Reid era, I think, too, in this this, in, this 11th season of Coach Reid. So 
that'll be something to uh, monitor during the time in St. Joseph. But again, the defensive talent in specific. And then people go, what, God, what can they do more creative on offense? They've already run Snow Globe. They've run Corn Dog. <laughs> they've run Jet Chip Wasp. They've run the 1948 Rose Bowl play. Just get ready. There's a whole nother like batch of stuff that this team is bringing. And with the skill set that they're going to bring to training camp on the offensive side, the creativity is not stopping. In fact, it's enhanced as well. And I'll tell you, the position to watch is fullback. And you're probably saying, Matt, we don't have a fullback on the roster for the first time since 2013. I know that, but that doesn't mean it's going away in this offense. Just watch what Coach Reed does with the fullback spot this season. You're going to see so many different players line up in that spot and used in all these different kinds of ways. And defenses are not going to know how to stop it. An example of that that we even saw in the Super Bowl is go back and watch the first drive of the second half. This is the drive that set the tone for the rest of the game. There was a third and short, and Sky Moore was at running back. Jarek McKinnon was in the traditional fullback spot. It was a quick trap handoff to Jarek, who broke free for like a 15-yard gain, really got the offense rolling. They go down and score. You know how that story ended. Expect more of that, where you're going to see a lot of different players in the backfield, a lot of different guys utilized in that fullback spot. I'm excited about how Coach Reed is going to utilize that area. It's weird not having a fullback for the first time in 10 years, but I'm excited to see what Coach Reed does with that spot because just because there's not a player with an FB next to their name, you're going to see that spot utilized a lot in this offense. And, and the tight end group to me was very impressive. Uh, even a guy like Kendall Blanton or Matt Bushman that joins the other four that are already here uh, and that the versatility of that tight end group leads you um, – to that, hey, what are you going to do without a fullback? Well, there's all kinds of, we're not giving away government secrets here. There's going to be all kinds of different mix and match that uh, Coach Reed will do along with Matt Nagy on this offense, and that's where you get excited. If you think you're going to know what the Chiefs are running based on personnel or what they've done over the past several years, think again. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming that it's going to be uh, defenses are going to have to prepare for or be surprised by, and again, that gives you an edge uh, in an uber-competitive AFC. And finally, our final point is it's something that you and I saw very early on in the spring was with this increase in talent would be a renaissance of sorts of the Chiefs being dominant, dominant in every special team's phase. Let's put it in perspective. From 2013 to 2020, uh, in those first years of the Andy Reid time here in Kansas City, the Chiefs had 13 special team scores. The Chiefs were 12-1 and in those 13 games. Now, the last two seasons in the regular season, there have been no special team scores. It's not just a punt return or kick return. I'm talking a block kick or being explosive in those areas. With this increase in talent on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball, my prediction will be a return to being explosive in special teams in 2023. Again, in an incredibly competitive AFC, that gives you another edge in winning games that you may not have the chance to win. Just think of Super Bowl 57 and Kadarius Toney's 65-yard punt return. You get that on a regular basis during the regular season and you put a pressure on an opponent in all three phases, that's where you become a decimating foe for others. The saga of the Chiefs special teams unit last year is so fascinating to look back on 
because we all know there were struggles at times, uncharacteristic struggles uh, during the season for the Chiefs special teams unit. And as you said, uh, they grew from that. And without the Chiefs special teams, they don't win the AFC. The Chiefs special teams unit helped win that AFC title game against the Bengals and helped win the Super Bowl. So it was an amazing story. And it's not just the, the guys we all know about, like Harrison Butker and Tommy Townsend, James Winchester. It's the guys on the blocking units. It's the guys in coverage. A lot of players were new to that system last year. And for the guys returning, they have a year under their belt now. So I expect the special teams to be better, even if because of that. Because guys like Nazi Johnson, who I think has a chance to be one of the best special teamers in the NFL this year, has a full year under his belt. A guy like Jack Cochran has a year under his belt uh, in the special teams unit. So that helps. But also drafting players like Chamari Connor and B.J. Thompson and Nick Jones, who you when you saw him drafted uh, for the Chiefs during draft weekend, you probably say to yourself, well, I don't think they're starters right away. Well, think again, because they could end up starting on special teams. And that's important. Shamari Connor was an excellent special teamer during his time at Virginia Tech. Just go back and watch him uh, as a coverage player. Excellent, excellent special teams player. We're adding him to this unit and guys like Nick Jones and B.J. Thompson who B.J. Thompson could be like a Tano Passigno kind of player on field goal blocks. He's so long and athletic and uh, has big, long arms where he can swat a kick out of, that, out of the sky. So those guys are coming into a group that already has a year of experience under their belt. I definitely expect this group to be better. And you mentioned Daenerik Prince earlier. I think he has a great shot to be our kickoff return man this year. He's got to earn that, but that group could be very good as well. Again, if you're an opponent and you're playing the Chiefs, they're so hard to prepare to play when you look at the volume of offense that the Chiefs present. If you're looking at a defensive group that could be Spags' best and deepest and most creative, and then a special teams unit that does not let you rest in the way they cover, in the way they return, in the way they kick, all of a sudden now you just put pressure on an opponent in every phase. And that's the way you try to repeat and become a Super Bowl champion in Super Bowl 58 against an AFC that's just loaded and ready to take you out. And there's players that maybe won't make the roster right away as undrafted free agents, but could make the practice squad and could be elevated at some point. And I feel really good about the crop of players we have kind of in that realm. A player like Cam Jones, a linebacker from Indiana, really good player who would have been drafted if he didn't hurt his foot early in the season. Isaiah Moore, another linebacker from NC State, and Isaiah Norman, a DB from Marshall. Uh, just players that have stood out and would really fit that mold as a really good coverage special teamer. And maybe they don't make the roster uh, in late August, but if they're on that practice squad and you need them for a game in Week 10, you can rely on these guys to make plays. So I just feel really good about the talent throughout this entire roster. You always want to say that <laughs> every summer, but I really truly believe it. And you don't typically have a Super Bowl champion who has money invested in their quarterback and in other players that are able to say that because they're normally going all in. Well, the Chiefs have done a great job of managing this window where they can supplement their roster with not just great players, but also a whole bunch of really solid good players who can come in and play a role. It was a night we'll never forget. It's a ring that in many ways is the most spectacular ring in National Football League history. We should have worn it today. Should have. Yeah. <laughs> But know this, Chiefs Kingdom, this is a team that is never satisfied. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.